Good evening, and turn to Psalm 33. I heard the audio. Oh, there we go. Yeah, thank you. Psalm 33. Someone tell me tonight a reason, a reason why, a reason why you can praise God tonight. Somebody tell me a reason why. Say it, say it louder for the people in the back. I beat cancer. That's a good reason to praise God. Salvation. <laughs> or salvation. That's a good reason to praise Him. Waking up today, yeah. What's some of the reasons we can praise Him today? Yeah. Had a few folks been kind of sick, feeling better? Answered and unanswered prayers. Yeah. Yeah. That's true. Yeah, it's being healthy. Yeah. A lot of folks out there tonight not feeling very well, right? And got to count our blessings when we do feel well. Well, I ask you that because we're going to talk about praising the Lord tonight. And Psalm 33 for me has just been a pleasure to read it this week. Um,. I guess it was Monday, I started reading it, I read it a couple of times, and just, I wasn't even trying to study it, I was just reading it, and uh, God bless my heart just reading it out loud, and so, um, so I want to talk about this, and the emphasis of Psalm 33, as you'll see there, there's not a heading, and so usually it says, right, a Psalm of David, or it gives us a little information, but there's no heading here, uh, to me it sounds like just a continuation though from Psalm 32, if you look at Psalm 32 verse 11, where it says, Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, ye righteous, and shout for joy, all ye that are upright in heart. And then you go to Psalm 33, verse 1, Rejoice in the Lord, O ye righteous. And so it's just like this continuation. And so, um, again, we don't know for sure if it's David. It sounds like it is to me. But it's all about praise and it's all about worship. And I think, um, I don't know, what, what would you, don't say it out loud, but if you had to judge yourself on how you praise God, how you worship God, would you say, you know, I'm, I'm excellent at praising God, or I'm kind of average, maybe below average? You know, how, how would you think about that for yourself? Because what we see in the Psalms, what the psalmist... We, as a matter of fact, if, if Lord willing, if we ever make it to Psalm 150, you know, let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Amen. And so, um, just that, I hope that will be on our thoughts tonight. And I was looking at worship and praise in the Bible kind of a big picture, and I thought about how in the Old Testament we read things like this about singing and groups of singers, and it talks about, you know, playing musical instruments. Uh, some people are bowing, some are lifting hands, some are clapping, some are um, shouting even. And, but then when we get to the New Testament, we really don't see those same types of music, do we? Or can you think of any cases? I mean, can someone tell me a, a, an example in the Scripture of music in the New Testament. Mm, not music, but whenever they're trying to calm down. Okay, yeah. I mean, a form of, you know, yeah. They're worshiping Jesus as he entered. Yeah, very good. That's that's that is definitely a praise and a worship moment there. Yeah. Can I think of another one? I don't believe there's many. That's what I'm asking. After the Last Supper, what did Jesus and the disciples do? They went out and sang a hymn. That's one very small example. Um, 
Anybody else think of one? There's only, I believe, only one verse Paul writes, singing, making melody in your hearts to the Lord. He writes maybe one or two verses like that. Of course, Revelation, there's pictures of worshiping in heaven. So there's not a lot about that. And so for that reason, have you ever, have you ever wondered, like, what did the church, what was, what was their worship like in the first century or early in the church? Do you, think they, do you think it looked like our worship on Sunday morning? I think probably not. If we were to, like, time travel right now back to Jesus' day or Paul's day and go to a Sunday morning service, um, I bet we would be like, what's going on here? You know, I think. I mean, because, again, a different culture, different time. Um, even today, by the way, right, if we go to another country, their worship over there a lot of times looks a little different. And there's still going to be some preaching and some praying and some music, but it might look different than what we're used to. What we're used to. But... That's even true of going down the street, right? The way we worship here, you might go two miles down the street to another church, and the worship, the worship might be a lot different. There might be still be preaching, still be singing, but again, just different. So um, I, I thought that was interesting, and, and, and I think, and I want to make this clear to us tonight, is that you know, music is just one tool of expression of our worship, right? Wor- music, worship is not just singing. It's not just playing instruments. Um, it, we don't go out there and sing in the church, and then when we get done singing, we're done worshiping, right? The preaching is still part of worship. The praying is worship. The giving offerings is worship. Our fellowship is a part of worship. And so um, I, I kind of want to make that clear because, and you guys have seen it, I'm sure, but I don't think in my almost 20 years of ministry that I've seen any topic more argued over than music. I know I haven't, by the way. And being a guy who, when I first got into ministry, led music as my ministry and my job, I was always kind of the, a lot of times the blunt of that, the brunt of that, I guess you'd say, those discussions and debates on music and styles. And, but I hope we all get to the point where a style of music or a preference of music doesn't stop us from worshiping the Lord. And... Um, and what I mean by that is our focus is not on the music, it's on Him, right? Now, we all have our preferences. There's certain music we like more than others. There's certain styles we like more than others. But a Christian should be able to kind of put some of that aside and focus on Christ. And that's what we want to make sure we do. And, and this psalm does that. And, and I love um, kind of what it tells us. And, and very simply, I kind of break into three, past, three sections. The first is just those who are godly, those who are believers, those who are Christians... They praise the Lord, right? We should be praising Him. So look with me. I want to pray first, and then we'll read the first three verses. Let me pray. Father, as we've already been talking about it, we want to just give you praise and glory and honor tonight from our hearts. Draw our hearts near to you. Um, Lord, we're so apt to praise ourselves or others in this world, but may our praise and our worship and our delight uh, be on you. Uh, And show us tonight in your word why, remind us why you deserve all the praise and glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Look with me at verses 1, 2, and 3. And this is simply the call for the righteous to praise. Rejoice in the Lord, O ye righteous, for praise is comely for the upright. Praise the Lord with harp. 
Sing unto him with a psaltery and an instrument of ten strings. Sing unto him a new song. Play skillfully with a loud noise. So again, it's a call here to praise to the righteous, to the godly. And he does mention using these musical instruments. Instruments, of course, y'all know I like musical instruments. I play one or try to. Um, they certainly can be helpful in our worship. Um, I don't think, by the way, personally, that you have to use instruments. Um, I've been in services before where we just sing a cappella, and you hear the people of God lift their voices, and you can worship God just like that. Now, I do prefer a good piano and guitar and stuff like that, but you don't have to have that, do you? Some churches just don't have it. Some churches don't have that in, in different places around the world, and they still worship God just fine. And so... Um, but he does say here, hey, use these things. I always thought it was interesting. Did y'all ever think it was interesting that David was a warrior, right? He could kill people, but also like played these, the harp, <laughs> like played these instruments. That kind of doesn't seem like it goes together. But he was a well-rounded individual that God blessed to be a warrior and a musician. But that usually is not the case. But, um, but he mentioned something here, I think, interesting in verse 3. Sing unto him a new song. Um, and I don't know, my, my thoughts on that verse is like, nothing gets old songs, right? We still sing old songs. We like old songs. Um, but the idea here to me is that the, as you know God every day, you know Him every day, right? You experience a daily relationship with God. There should be just these new desires in your heart or new cries or prayers from your heart to praise Him. So the new song here might be just, what am I going to praise God for today? That's my new song for the day. So I think that's a, good, that's a good issue for us to think about when it comes to praise. Um, I have been, I've been to churches before that have 1,000 people in there, huge bands, orchestra and all that, and worship the Lord and thought it was awesome. I've been to like big concerts. You ever been to concerts before and that, that felt like they were worshipful? I've been to those too. Um, we, back in the day, we used to go to all those kind of things. Um, but I want to tell you something. I've been in churches with 20 people. And a, one old piano that the lady can barely play good and worship the same. Yep. You know what I mean? Because, again, it's not about where you are, how many people are there. It's about are those people surrendering themselves over to the Lord in worship and in praise. Yep. And, um, hey, even at our church, there's, you know, I love hearing your voices sing together. That's what I love the most, regardless of whatever song it is or whatever, when I hear God's people singing praises to God, that does my heart good. And um, so I thank you all for being a part of that on our Sunday mornings here. Um, Jesse and I one time went to a cabin in Columbia, Mississippi, with a few adults and some college-age students. I don't know, there might have been 15 of us in there, 20 people. We had a guy with a guitar, and we studied the Bible together, and we prayed together, and we had some times of singing and it was some of the most memorable worship times I've ever had. Fifteen people in a cabin, you know, in a small town. And so, um, again, I, I want to just speak on that because I, I want to make sure we, we keep our focus on praise and on the right way to praise. And um, is, is emotion involved in our praise of God? It is, I think. But I think also we have to be careful of that, that it's not all about emotion that we're making sure we're being genuine in our worship and, and joyful. That's the thing that sticks out to me in, in Psalm 33. The first word is rejoice. 
And again, he's going to say it um, at the end of the, the psalm, but he talks about just being joyful in, in God. And so, do you have a genuine, joyful life of praise where you can give him the glory? So, that's the first part. The second part, and this is the majority of the psalm, talks to us about why we should praise him. We already mentioned a few things tonight, but let's see what the psalmist says, why we should praise him. Verse 4. For the word of the Lord is right, and all his works are done in truth. He loveth righteousness and judgment. The earth is full of the goodness of the Lord. The first reason we should praise him is praise him for who he is. His character. The, for, verses 4 and 5 speak of the character of God and who he is. And is that enough for us to know who God is? If you knew God was creator, if you knew he was savior, if you knew all these things about him, isn't that enough to want to praise him, worship him? Yes. Makes me want to worship him. Like if, and this is true for many of us, right? Many of us would say, man, I wish I had this, right? I wish I had a bigger this or more this. But even if God doesn't bless us with those things, we still know who he is and he still deserves our praise. Just the same, right? We say, man, if God will, if God will give me this blessing, I'll sure give him the praise. Well, we should give him the praise anyway. And the, the most vivid illustration of that, I heard this years ago. Uh, a pastor friend had went to a hospital where a family was losing a baby, and the baby was about to pass away. And the, the dad, who was about to lose the baby, said that in prayer. Like, Lord, we're going to praise you if you bring our baby through this. But the prayer was, even if you don't, we're going to praise you anyway. Now, it's easy for us to stand here and preach, but when that dad was going through that in that moment to pray that... The preacher I heard share it, you know, shared it from a first-hand experience and just, wow. And my, my point is, do we, do we praise him for his character? Verse 4 says, his word is good and right. We know that. We trust that. Um, his works are done in truth. He's a God of truth. He loves righteousness and judgment. And it says the whole earth is full of his, his goodness. If you did not know all that God had done, would you still worship him for who he is? The second one is not only his character, but notice his creation. Not only who he is, but what he's done. Verse 6 through 9. By the word of the Lord were the heavens made. How did he make it all? His word. And all the host of them by the breath of his mouth. He gathereth the waters of the sea, and together as in heap he layeth up depth in storehouses, let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of Him. For He spake, and what? It was done. He commanded, and it stood fast. So there's so much we can go into here. I'll, I'll try to keep it simplified. But we worship Him first for who He is, and now for what He's done. And the main thing they focus on here that the psalmist does is His creation. We should, we should really meditate on that more, that God created everything. Right, if, if we get that right, by the way, if we get Genesis 1 right, then we'll be able to get, I think, the other things right as well. If you start by denying the Creator, you're bound to mess up along the way as far as theology, right? Um, why would you believe any other of the Bible if you don't believe He actually created everything? And so um, we worship Him for His creation. There's so much we could do there, and we do that, right? You see a beautiful sunset, you ever think, man, God's great. You see a, you know... 
You go on a nice trip somewhere and see the mountains or the beach. Man, God is amazing. And so worship Him for what He's done. Number The next one, number three, look at verse 10. And as I read these next few verses, you think about what's the reason here. I've told you His character and His creation. Why, does we, don't, why do we worship God here? Listen to verse 10. The Lord bringeth the counsel of the heathen to naught. He maketh the devices of the people of none effect. The counsel of the Lord standeth forever, and the thoughts of his heart to all generations. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord, and the people whom he hath chosen for his own inheritance. The Lord looketh from heaven, he beholdeth all the sons of men. From the place of his habitation he looketh upon all the inhabitants of the earth. He fashioneth their hearts alike, he considereth all their works. There is no king saved by the multitude of an host. A mighty man is not delivered by much strength. An horse is a vain thing for safety. Neither shall he deliver any by his great strength. Anything stand out to you there? Here's what I put in my notes. Worship him for his sovereignty. We worship him for who he is, for what he's done, and for how he governs this entire thing. How he governs or guides the world. Aren't you glad God's in control? Aren't you glad life's not just left to happenstance and circumstance? I'm so convinced that God's in control of all things that if I wasn't convinced of that, I just don't know what I would do. <laughs> I don't know what I would do if I didn't believe God was in control of all things. I don't know how I could handle, I don't think I could handle loss of loved ones if I didn't know God was in control of it or other difficult things in life. These verses talk about that. They talk about how, you know, his plans stand. Right? The people, verse 10, people can kind of come up with their own situations, their own plans, but it's the counsel of the Lord that stands forever. He says in verse 12, a very familiar verse to many of us, blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord, and talking about people that God has chosen. Of course, this certainly applies to Israel, but it can also apply to us as God's people. Um, he looks down and sees what's going on. He fashions their hearts. Verse 16 and 17 talk about how, you know, back then, right, a horse was an important thing in war. Like that was one of the top weapons you could have back then in war. And he says the horse is a vain thing for safety. Uh, it's not the strength of the army. It's not the strength of the horse. It's the strength of God that matters. And so we worship him for his sovereignty. When you've been through something and been through something, like Nick mentioned earlier, you can look back saying, I know God was in control of that. And led, guided me through that. And when you say that, you have to give him the glory. How about your salvation? Oh, yeah. Who deserves the salvation for you? Who deserves the glory for your salvation? God. Like, man, I'm such a good person. I was so smart to receive Jesus as my Lord and Savior. That's not. That should not be that attitude. You know what? Great job. <laughs> no, that should not be that attitude. I saw this week somebody said, "Hey." So-and-so received Christ. And I said, congratulations. I was like, that's just so weird to me. Congratulations. Like, no. Give God the praise. Give God the glory. He did it. It was His idea. He sent His Son. He sent the Holy Spirit to convict your heart. Give Him praise. That's a soapbox. I better get off of it. <laughs> the fourth one. We worship Him for who He is, for what He's done, for how He governs. And number four, we worship Him for how He loves. Verse 18. Behold, the eye of the Lord is upon them that fear Him, upon them that hope in His mercy, to deliver their soul from death 
and to keep them alive in famine. Do you see in those two verses how he loves and cares for his people? Who, his eye is on who? Those that what? That fear him, those who hope in him. And I don't know, as I read this this week, that phrase, the eye of the Lord, brought me comfort. I think that phrase could also bring conviction or worry for some people to know God's always watching. But for us, the, the, the idea here is that he is looking out for us. Amen. That's good, right? Yep. To know, even if you don't feel like it all the time, to know he is watching and he's there to step in and guide and help us, especially those who fear him. It says there in verse 19, and this is not something to be taken lightly, but he delivers their soul from death and he keeps them alive in famine. So this is not some small thing. This is God will help you in your worst times. He'll be with you in your worst times. And so what a reason to praise him. Praise him for his love for us. I know it's kind of simple, right? But it's still true. God, thank you for loving me. And give him praise for that. So those are the four reasons this psalm tells us to praise him. And then finally, he just concludes with just final thoughts. And he says in verse 20, Our soul waits for the Lord. I've told you a few times, but let's see if anybody remembers. What does it mean when the Bible says to wait on the Lord? Does anybody remember what I've said about that a few weeks ago, maybe? I know some of us can't remember what happened yesterday. I'll ask it this way. Is waiting on the Lord sitting back like, man, I sure hope God comes through? That's not waiting on the Lord, is it? It's like waiting on me when I'm late for church. It's like, is he going to get here or not? <laughs> you know. But Dylan told me for his wedding, he's like, rehearsal starts at 5.15. I'm like, really? He's well, 5.30, but for you, 5.15. <laughs> I get you, Dylan. I get you. Um, he's pretty smart. But this type of waiting... My soul waits on the Lord is an, is an absolute, you're 100% sure He's going to come through. Oh, yeah. It's an eager expectation and trust. So when we say wait on the Lord in the Scripture, the psalmist, they, they, he doesn't mean, I'm just sitting back, man, I sure hope God comes through for me. No, it's a, he expects God to come through for him. And that's a way to praise. He says God's our help and our shield there in verse 20. Verse 21 Knowing this, what happens? Our hearts shall rejoice in Him because we've trusted in His holy name. Let Thy mercy, O Lord, be upon us according as we hope in Thee. This psalm for me was just, again, a blessing to read and to pray and to think through these reasons why I need to praise Him. And I wanted to give you a couple of final thoughts on worship. In John chapter 4, Jesus said, to the woman at the well, they're debating like worship, and he says there's a time coming when, when you're going to worship, the, the Father wants you to worship in spirit and in truth. And these are the type of worshipers the Father desires. I want you to think about that. God desires that we worship in spirit and in truth. That's the main two things about worship, by the way. Not, not where it is, how big the church, how small the church, how many instruments you have, or whatever. Are you worshiping in spirit and in truth. I think in truth, by the way, means according to the Word of God. I think in spirit means that you're actually connected to it. It's heart, it's your mind, head and heart connected. Um, Jesus told her that. And then I want to give you another verse in Romans 12. You've heard this verse many times, I'm sure. Romans 12:1. He says, I appeal to you, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. 
holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. That's a, always been a funny phrase, a living sacrifice. Sacrifices are usually living or dead. Dead, right? They would kill the animal, be the sacrifice. Jesus was a sacrifice. He had to die, right, for our sins. But the Romans 12 says be a living sacrifice. Someone once said, you know what the problem is with a living sacrifice? It likes to get up and crawl off the altar, <laughs> right? It can crawl away. You can go away. But the idea here is that we're like, no, I'm going to be a living sacrifice for the Lord. And it says that's our spiritual act of worship. And so I would say to us, kind of jumping from Psalm 33 to the New Testament, have a heart of worship that says to Jesus, says to God every day when you get up, I'm yours. This day, Father, I'm yours. Use me as you would. Let me follow you. Let me do the things I need to do to honor you. But I want you to remember those three words tonight. I am yours. Let's let that be our praise and our worship to him. Let's pray.